Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I am your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. And on today's episode, episode number 16, we're going to be getting into a live concert recording entitled Five Piece Band by the likes of keyboardist Chick Corea and guitarist John McLaughlin. This is a very uh, fusion-based album, um, lots of energy, lots of... Uh, stretched out track so i'm excited to to get into this one today it's definitely a little bit different than some of the other albums that we've listened to it's a lot longer it's two hours in length you can really tell that it's a a full concert performance and not just a a studio album in a sense so yeah um i'm excited to get into this one but before we get into the album itself today we're going to be getting into our jazz question of the week for this week And our jazz question of the week for this week actually comes from a listener of the podcast, um, a gentleman by the name of Tito, after listening to our Blue and Sentimental album, emailed us in, which is a great thing if you want to email us, uh, the Jazz Jam Podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to us and ask us any questions you might have. Um, Tito's question for us this week, after listening to that uh, Ike Quebec album with Grant Green on guitar, was, um, and this album was unique because it had Grant Green as the only chordal instrument on the recording, the only primary harmonic chordal instrument. There was no piano. Ike did play piano on a couple of the tracks, um, but it was mostly just Grant Green on guitar. So uh, Tito asked us, are there any other albums beside Blue and Sentimental where Grant Green is the primary harmonic or chordal slash comping instrument? So Max, we did some research and what did we come up for the, the answer to this jazz question of the week? Well, it's a very interesting question, and we, you know, alluded to that fact when we went over Blue and Sentimental um, during that episode, that it's very rare to hear Grant Green as the only chordal instrument. Um, And on that album, you did say, you know, Ike was doing some comping piano behind Grant on a couple of guitar solos. But other than that, it, it really was just Grant Green on guitar. And so I've I think both you and I looked up his discography and and did some research and we found a whole two other albums (laughs) where, (laughs) where Grant Green is the primary chordal instrument and the only one on that, on those records. And in those two sessions, number one being Green Street, which was released in 1961 with Ben Tucker on bass and Dave Bailey on drums. And then the second one was originally called Remembering and that was reissued as quote uh or as titled standards when it was you know the digital release and that was recorded in 1961 but released well after in 1980 and that featured wilbur ware on bass and al herewood on drums both tremendous players wilbur ware is also on the uh live at the village vanguard sonny rollins album which is dynamite Mm. And something interesting about that album, you said it came out in 1980. That's uh, It's important to note that that's an, a year after Grant Green passed away in 1979. So remembering Grant Green, that's like kind of a, an album to remember him. And it was put out on the Blue Note Japan label, which is pretty interesting. It wasn't put on the, um, the American Blue Note label. It was put on the Japanese Blue Note label, which like I guess in the 80s, was a, uh, you know that label was pretty big with all the, the jazz going on in Japan at the time. Yeah, there's a, there's been a scene in Japan, um, especially during that time. Some great players there, and and you're right. It was you know posthumously released after his death, and then again renamed and, and reissued as standards. Um, so I think our our listener friend Tito 
was aware of those two albums, uh, but did not know the full story about that second one originally called Remembering. Yep. And that's, as we've noted before on the podcast, that there was a kind of a collection of Grant Green albums that were recorded for Blue Note in the 60s, but then never released until after he passed away in the in the 80s. So we get like, I think a run of five or six albums that Blue Note had recorded with Grant Green. And then after he passed away, they, they put all the rest of those out. So um, remembering slash standards is one of those. And there's some other ones um, at, you know, that came out in the, the mid 80s as well. Cool. Well, let's get into the album that we're going to get into today, which is Five Piece Band Live, like we mentioned by Chick Corea and John McLaughlin. Some history on this album. This is one of our modern albums. Uh, we're doing a modern uh, album this week. It was recorded in 2008 and released in 2009. And in 2010, um, it won a Grammy for Best Instrumental Jazz Album. I think this comes by way of a recommendation by a, um, a, fo- a fellow local musician, right, Max? Someone had recommended yeah. that we check this out. Yeah, a bass player I know who's, who's a great you know, great musician, very creative, plays both upright and electric bass. Um, ah, it's starting to make sense. Okay. Yeah, and and he he and I, you know, I we were conversing about what we do here on the Jazz Jam, and he was saying we should go over this record. You know, he really digs a lot that goes on. It's really cool from his perspective because Christian McBride is on this record, one of the ultimate bass players of our time. And, you know, he's on both upright and electric on this album, which is rare to see Christian McBride on electric bass. And so I think that's why he particularly, you know, enjoys listening to it. But there's some great moments on on the record. And um, it was I, I thought it was a great recommendation. And, and I checked it out some more. And, and here we are doing the thing. So, yeah. yeah it, and his name is Seiko, bass player first name Seiko and he's a African immigrant but he's he's on the scene in Kansas City and he's he's active and and you know well versed in in not only learning this music but performing to a to a high level so awesome yeah and this is maybe one that we wouldn't check out if it weren't recommended to us it wasn't really on our radar so it's cool and that makes a lot of sense with um him being a bass player and christian mcbride on this album is kind of in rare form he's really one of the driving forces on this album and we get him on electric bass a lot as well as as upright so cool to know kind of where that that this recommendation is coming from um you know a a local fellow musician to to max named seiko there in, in kansas city so cool um yeah so this is recorded on Concord Records, which is an extension of the original Concord Jazz label, which was established in 1973, and it was renamed to Concord Records in 1995 to kind of reach beyond just the jazz world, and it's known for its logo, which is a single-angled eighth note that combines the C in Concord um, with the J, like it's in the concord jazz initials so it's kind of known for for its logo and there are some other great albums on concord records as well and this group started in 2008 so around the time of this recording and it was put together as kind of a a fusion super group and when we get into the personnel you'll understand why this is kind of just a super group with some really really talented musicians um from you know the fusion era and into the modern era with Christian McBride. Cool. Let's get into the personnel a little bit on the album. As we mentioned, we get Chick Corea on the keys and piano, and hopefully you know who Chick Corea is or have heard of him by now. But um, he was born in 1941 and unfortunately passed away last year in February uh, of 2021. 
And so he was a composer, pianist, keyboardist, um, band leader, and he played some percussion as well. I know he played vibraphones um, from time to time. He has compositions like Spain, 500 Miles High, La Fiesta, Armando's Roomba, and Windows, which are common jazz standards now. And he started recording and playing professionally on the scene in the 1960s, around 1966. And what really got his start in in the music was being a member of Miles Davis's group in the late 1960s and kind of really the beginning of the fusion era, post-bop, after post-bop and getting into some more of the fusion things. So he... uh, he was a participant in the birth of that jazz fusion. And so he, in the 1970s, he formed a group called Return to Forever, um, which is a great group and put out so many um, jazz fusion albums. And we'll probably get into at least a few of those at some point on the podcast. He's considered to be one of the foremost jazz pianists of the kind of the, the post John Coltrane era, this post post bop era and starting to get into the fusion era. He continued to collaborate frequently while exploring different musical styles throughout the 1980s and uh, 1990s as well. And he won a staggering 23 Grammy awards. So quite the, the lifetime achievement achievement. And he was kind of in that era in the eighties, like seventies through nineties, the, the guy on and jazz piano, especially keyboards and, and fusion music. So, yeah, yeah, he's he's one of the quintessential fusion uh, pioneers, and he, he and might innovators. be the fusion guy. Like, if you're thinking yeah. of fusion, Chickory is one of the, the first guys that comes to mind. Right, and and I mean his his tune Spain is well known by a lot of jazz musicians and a lot of people. So you know he's he's had a big impact on the music. Um, and it's great to see him in, in this way where he's kind of co-leading uh, a group, you know, and, and he's always it seems like he's always been a cat who's worked well with others. Yeah. And speaking of co-leading, we get the other co-leader on the album, um, John McLaughlin on guitar, who we mentioned uh, previously as well. He's an English uh, born guitar player. And he's born in 1942. So around the same age as Chick Corea, he's born to a musical family and was playing guitar by the age of 11. And then he was a session musician and then decided to move to the U.S. in 1969 to join Tony Williams' group Lifetime. And he soon became a pioneer of the jazz fusion genre as well while he was playing with Miles Davis. And this is um, where he met Chick Corea and started to work with Chick Corea. Um, he played with his own group called the uh, Ma- Mahavishnu Mahavishnu Orchestra. There we go. Yeah, Mahavishnu. Yep. yep. Um, which won many awards, including Grammys, and was described by Pat Metheny as the world's greatest guitarist and called the greatest guitarist alive by Jeff Beck. So some really high praise from some uh, contemporary jazz or from uh, guitarists, jazz guitarists and kind of fusion guitarists there with Jeff Beck and, and Pat Metheny. Yeah, he's kind of a guitar player's favorite guitar player. Yeah. Um, so, you know. And, and if you listen to him on, on some moments on this record, you, you can hear why. So yeah, with those two co-leading, we also get a great cast along with them, including the phenomenal Kenny Garrett on saxophone. Kenny Garrett, born in 1960 in Detroit. His dad played the tenor sax, and Kenny joined the Duke Ellington Orchestra in 1978 while also playing with the likes of Art Blakey, Miles Davis, Freddie Hubbard, and the list goes on, which launched a full career for Kenny Garrett. He began recording as a leader in 1984, 
He's won many awards. He's been Grammy nominated. I've seen him live. It's a very spiritual experience to witness him in action. And I really do appreciate a lot of what Kenny Garrett does. And he's kind of been described as the most important alto sax player of his generation. And I think that's pretty accurate. He's just a phenomenal player. Yeah, I love listening to Kenny Garrett. And he's, I think, our favorite Kenny G on the uh, on this podcast. <laughs> I know. Whenever people you know, say Kenny G or do you know Kenny G or what do you think of Kenny G? My mind is like, you mean Kenny Garrett, right? <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not talking about that smooth jazzer with the soprano and the hair and the style and the, you know, he's got the look and he's got a sound, but Kenny we're, Garrett, we're more Kenny Garrett on, on this podcast and he's so killing. He's like, he's so soulful um, and his feel is so good. And so there's a lot of cool stuff from, and we're going to get to listen to some of it on, you know, um, on this album here. Right. Kenny Garrett is my Kenny G. Uh, and then on bass, we get the phenom Christian McBride, which we mentioned earlier on Upright and Electric, born in 72 in Philadelphia. He learned bass early on. He was kind of seen as a, as a teenage prodigy. He had joined Bobby Watson's group Horizon when Christian McBride was just 17 years old. And he had also performed with Freddie Hubbard, Roy Hargrove, George Duke, Benny Golson, Hank Jones, Joshua Redman, Mel Jackson, and so many more. He still plays quite a bit with Joshua Redman from time to time. And he was kind of seen as one of the young lions of the 90s. You know, one of these powerhouse players who were reverting and in, in reflecting the, the long jazz tradition from yesteryear before fusion into their playing. And Christian McBride had debuted his own album as a leader in 1995 on Verve Records. And he was primarily an upright bass player, and, and it still remains that to this day. Yet you can hear him occasionally on electric bass, and this is one of those examples of that. He's won multiple Grammys, and he's one of the most active bass players today. It seems like every other year, Christian McBride is winning a Grammy Award. <laughs> so. Yeah, and he's he's really incredible. I mean, he's probably he's one of the the guys when it comes to I mean, maybe the guy when it comes to jazz bass in the modern jazz era for sure. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And he's, he's so well liked amongst jazz like musicians and bassists. Pretty much everyone likes what Christian McBride does, and there's a reason for it. It's super super tasteful and it's killing. I mean, he's just got he's so ridiculously talented as well. He also has a great uh, one-hour show on the Real Jazz Sirius XM satellite radio station where he'll interview um, jazz greats and he'll play along with them and then do trivia questions. And, and you get to learn a lot on the, on those those shows. So Christian McBride is also just a great sort of ambassador of what we call jazz. Yep. So all in all, you know, great cat. We also get Vinny Coleuda on drums and percussion on this album who was born in 1956 in brownsville pennsylvania he was given his first drum set at age seven he went to berkeley and started uh really being active in the boston music scene he's a drummer and percussionist that's worked on as, as a session musician for many different styles and genres he was inducted into the modern drummer hall of fame in 96 and he's also won a grammy and he's been multi-nominated since the 70s, he's worked or recorded with the likes of Frank Zappa, Sting, Jeff Beck, Herbie Hancock, Joni Mitchell, and so many more. And speaking of Herbie Hancock, we do get a little taste of Herbie Hancock on this record on track number seven. And Herbie joins everyone on piano. And if you don't know Herbie Hancock, please look him up. You know, we'll, we'll get more into him if we, assuming we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to get into some 
Herbie Hancock-led albums soon enough. So more to say on him later on, but he is on a track, which is a great feature to this record. Yeah, and I'd never really heard of Vinny uh, Coliuda, but it seems like he's kind of got his foot in more than just jazz as far as who he's recorded with. And you can kind of tell there's some of that kind of rock fusion influence there with his playing. It makes a lot of sense when we'll listen to some of this album. There's a lot of energy, a lot of driving, but he's really good. It feels really good, and he fits well in this 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 group. And as this group, you know, continued to tour after this record was released, they would bring in the great Brian Blade on drum set. Mm, Brian Blade's so, so good. Yeah, he's one of the cats that's, re- you know, one of the heavy cats. So um, that's, a you know, another notable thing about this group is that they used Brian Blade as well. Cool. That's awesome to know. Let's get into the album itself with the, the first track here, Max. What do we get to start us off here? Yeah, we're starting off hot. This first track is called Raju. It's an original by John McLaughlin, the guitar player. And you'll know that, you know, as we keep going on, that most of these are compositions originally written by Chick Corea or the guitar player, John. So right away, you're getting with Raju, the electric fusion sound, sort of the Miles Davis fusion plus. And that plus, you know, we're getting a lot more than than just kind of the fusion thing. But it, it, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a fusion sort of melting pot or something. It's anything you can think of mm. being thrown together. And right away, we're getting electric keyboard trills and a guitar to start us off as the drum groove soon enters. So you get John McLaughlin's sound right away, which is is, is quite um, sort of a necessary aspect when listening to this album is to listen for his tone on the guitar. Very unique, very cool, very edgy at, at times. And then after a minute or so, we get Kenny Garrett coming in on the melody along with the guitar. And the, the head is very rhythmic with a number of nice hits along with with the rhythm section. The drums get a little little busier too as they keep going on during the second repeat of the head. And the cool thing about this track is that there's these sort of transitions from the melody to the solo and in between solos. So we get a spacey transition to a key solo and 245 is the start of the actual uh, key solo. Space is, uh, the space is more open sonically to let the keys develop their, their solo. And there's a nice half-step movement, and there's lots of fast lines. At 4.38, they change the groove up a little bit following Chick's improv idea, and they do an almost half-time groove. The drums stop playing the driving eighth notes on the cymbals and goes into an almost late 70s or 80s rock kind of groove. And then they play a very neat end-of-solo rhythmic hit idea to end each solo. And also, I want we're going to take a snippet and listen together and listen to what Christian is doing on the electric bass at the end of the solo as well. So this is 425 to 508. Listen to those those things we were just talking about. Yeah. So we're going to listen for all those those things that Max just just talked about there. Cool. Uh. 
Right. So, you know, if you were listening to what Christian McBride was doing, he's all over the electric bass, so busy, but so in the pocket. You can hear that halftime groove and you can hear those rhythmic hits that they're doing together at the end of the solo to signify the end. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. Like we get that rock fusion feel, kind of that rock feel that we were talking about from Vinny. You can kind of hear that there. And the change in feel is so cool there. That was like one thing that really stuck out to me when I first listened to that song was they get into kind of that really rock shuffle kind of groove there. And what Chick is doing on the keyboard is just he's shredding. There's some cool like kind of hints at modal stuff going on there um, towards the end of the solo. And yeah, I mean, Christian McBride's just ripping under it. So there's a lot going on, but a lot of cool stuff going on just in that that 30 seconds right there. Yeah, they're all shredding, but they're shredding together. Yeah. And that is something to listen for. You know, it's like we we talked about it, you know, uh labeling it as a, a super group. And you can hear that in those moments where they're each, you know, just doing amazing things on their instrument individually, but together it works so well as well because of how in the pocket they are and they're, you know, developing together, listening together. We've talked about that before, and that's just one of those moments you can hear that. And as it goes on, I we get a Kenny Garrett solo. I love the development Kenny gives us. He sticks to one thematic long note to build ideas off of and continually adds to it while transitioning to busier lines and ideas. And this kind of reminded me of the great Sonny Rollins mm. and his thematic development that you would get in a Sonny Rollins solo. So we kind of get that here with Kenny Garrett and he's all over the horn playing short blues ideas, also playing many out ideas that are accompanied with syncopated dotted notes also, there's some squirrely extended technique ideas, followed by more half-step movement that climaxes to a loud saxophone scream that we've all come to love. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I say that somewhat facetiously because some people really don't understand that those moments when, you know, a saxophone, a great saxophone player is screeching in the altissimo or beyond register. But here it works really, really well because of everything Kenny Garrett did before it to get to that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a real climax that was, you know, preceded by great development and a great moving solo. After that scream, it kind of goes into sounds uh, like a, a similar ending chord progression that ended the Chikoria solo and the ending bookend idea they're doing with the rhythmic hits to close out that solo. And so we're going to listen to, to that moment too. This is 745 to about 820 or so. Yeah. So, yeah, you can hear that build up to the scream, you know, that sort of thematic development, you know, using one idea and then doing it a number of different ways and then going to those hits together. You know, it sounds like that in and of itself is is a is an ending, you know, little chord progression that leads to those rhythmic hits. 
So I'm wondering if Kenny Garrett cues it or if, if he looks at Chick Corea and Chick cues it or, or, or how that goes down, or maybe by, by this time playing together so much, they just feel it out and they know to go there. Um, but you know, those rhythmic hits, they're so together, you know, it seems like a cue. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it is, yeah, this whole album, I mean, these guys are just so together. It's so killing. It's so like, they're all killing and so energetic. And it's just, I love like what you're talking about, the development here from Kenny Garrett and taking those ideas and developing them into that, like really, you know, kind of screaming, you know, belting moment. That's just, it's so well done there. And I, I really, I'm glad that you chose to listen to that section. Cause it just shows you like kind of what Kenny Garrett's all about and how, how good he is and how, you know, spiritual and, groove in the music is it's just it's so good and that development there is just it really speaks to me yeah it's a great moment after that we get a guitar solo it's a very cool solo starts out with some nice repeating ideas and it there's an almost weather report like groove that's happening um before it gets busier from both the soloist and the rhythm section the electric guitar is all over the place with fast single lines, but that particular guitar tone is what is coming out to me that I was getting at earlier. It's edgy, but it's not too edgy. And there's lots of nice interplay from the rhythm section and the guitar. Then we get that spacey transition to come out of solos again before the head, uh, similar to, to how they went into the solos that I was talking about earlier. Um, there's moments of melody to this tune that remind me of the the song sugar by the great Stanley Turrentine. Mm -hmm. There's some, you know, similar, you know, minor third, uh, movement, you know, going downward or the opposite moving upward, like that happens in sugar. And, uh, some moments remind me of Horace Silver's song for my father. So that's just a personal connection I was making. And after the head out, you know, they end the tune and you can hear the crowd go wild. So it's, it's a great aspect of this album is that, you know, we mentioned it's it's a live album and they keep those moments where there's there's crowd interaction at the very ends of tunes that you can hear. So it, it just speaks to how well the, the music was getting across to the audience. Yeah. And I think that this this track is just a really cool way to start out the album. There's a lot of energy. It's really up tempo. You know, the groove is there. And yeah, it's cool. I mean, we get some really cool solos and we kind of just get to hear what this album's all about right off the bat and it just really sets the the foundation um for what's going to happen the rest of the way yeah i think it they start off hot and i think a lot of their intention with this group is well represented in the first track called raju and then we get a, a different track the second tune on the album called the disguise Dwayne, what do you think of this one um what were you hearing on on the disguise yeah, so this one kind of goes in a little bit different of a direction, which is nice. Um, it starts out with an intro from Chick Corea. This just like screams Chick Corea to me. It's it's so like you know typical of what you would hear from Chick. Um, and then you get the bass and drums come in, uh, and they go through the progression once as well before the guitar and sax come in and double on the melody. And so it's definitely a little bit different. This song um, isn't as up up tempo it's kind of a little bit more relaxed um in the the feel and the melody and then they kind of dial it back into chick korea's solo uh he takes the first solo and there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the solo there's lots of awesome different ideas from chick here some modal ideas some fast sweeping lines and some rhythmic ideas 
and I love how the guitar and the sax will like interject with the riff from the melody at times during the solo. I think that it's really cool. And that's just one thing about this album I notice is that there's a lot of this going on where it's just well composed and these transitions are really cool. The transitions, the intros and the transitions are are definitely well planned out on this album. And this is uh, one one spot where it really stands out to me. So let's listen to um, a section from Chick Corea's solo. And we're going to listen for those different ideas. The modal, I think he goes with the modal ideas first, then gets into some more rhythmic stuff and then into the fast sweeping lines. And he does it all within like this one section of the solo and he's able to kind of communicate all these ideas in a way that makes a lot of sense um and it's just it's super grooving so let's let's listen for that here at 310 to, to 342 there's that rip Yeah. Yeah, it's great stuff. You you know, those moments you can hear specifically what Chick is doing and and the different sounds he's getting and going to and incorporating in his playing is is spot on and is a lesson in and of itself. Um so those are great moments to listen for indeed. Yeah, and there's just in that 30 seconds he gives us so much there. And he's this is the whole album. I mean, they're you know, he's going to give us so much throughout the album, but just in that 30 seconds, he kind of takes us on a little journey from some different ideas there. And it's just, it's really hip. And I, I really love that kind of second section that we heard there, the more rhythmic idea that he plays. And I just love that kind of soulful idea there and how the band kind of follows in with that. And then, right. No, yeah. No matter, you know, all the sort of harmonic directions you're going, you know what you want to make sure you're, you're, playing rhythmically together with the people you're playing with and that it feels good yeah and they're and they're doing that there yeah for sure and then i love from uh 347 to 357 where he really focuses on one note and kind of messes around with some different rhythmic ideas and there's some really cool playful additions from uh christian mcbride on the the bass during that part too so i really like how he just kind of takes one note messes around with it and we kind of hear christian mcbride like max was just saying like key in on that rhythmically and kind of um riff on that too and then we get that same melody riff that we we're talking about into the guitar solo that starts out kind of much more focused on texture um than lines really with some spacey trills we kind of talked about mclaughlin's texture and things and so that's what he's going for here is kind of getting us that that texture, that jazz fusion guitar kind of texture. And then as it settles in, we start to get a lot of space in the solo. And then he has kind of a continued use of space, but starts to fill it in more with some different lines and riffs, which leads to some building intensity from the whole group, which I think is one thing that this album does pretty well is this kind of group the, the album kind of breathes together as a group, like they'll build intensity and kind of bring it back through different sections pretty well. So that's what we're getting here in that guitar. solo is kind of this build and intensity from the whole group there. And then um, one thing that just stands out to me is his sound, John McLaughlin's sound. It's just so like 
jazz fusion like it just screams jazz fusion to me um and it makes sense being as he is the guy um in the way that his you know his guitar tones and his lines and ideas it's just all so so fusion and it's it, it makes a lot of sense in this context and on this tune um, yeah i think it's i think his guitar sound is a key aspect to this record which i already mentioned but it, it's it bears mentioning again because this sound is if you think about it it's very particular you yeah. know there's a there's a reason why he's doing that tone there's a reason why chick is is doing those um keyboard sounds there's a reason why you know christian is on electric bass on some of these tracks yep. there's a reason why on 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 some of them he's on upright bass uh there, there's musical reasons for that and there's musical reasoning behind john mclaughlin's tone yep yeah it wouldn't be yeah it's not it doesn't sound like Grant Green. Like it's way, right. way far removed from that. And it's, so it's, it is fusion. So it's, yeah, there's a reason for that. Um, great point there, Max. And then we get uh, Kenny Garrett comes in um, with sax solo. It's fairly smooth and sultry to begin. Um, there's lots of these uh, repeated ideas to start before beginning to develop the ideas out a little bit more, which is nice. Um, he kinds of really fleshes them out first and then develop them a little bit farther into the solo. And he does a really great job of using space and rhythmic development to let the rhythm section help build the solo and really add to what he's doing. And that I want to really hone in on that point for a second is sometimes when you're just playing lines, playing lines, 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 it can be really hard for the rhythm section to really kind of comp with what you're doing because you're not giving them a lot of room to to comp there. You're just taking up all the space the room in the song right so what kenny garrett does really well here is he gives there like a good amount of space to let the rhythm section in and he starts to play some rhythmic ideas and rhythmically develops those ideas to kind of let the rhythm section in on what he's doing and they're really able to kind of get in there with them and it's just way more interesting in my opinion in that way when you can kind of let the song breathe and let the rhythm section into what you're doing more so than just like they're playing behind me playing lines on lines on lines yes you're playing in an ensemble with other people and the more you can have interactions um between the different instruments and and, and play ideas together the more I think you'll grow musically in the moment. And I think that will come across to an audience much more effectively as well. Um, and, and get the audience into what you're doing. It's not always about how many bop lines can you throw in, in a, in a small amount of time. It, and especially if you're doing more rhythmic ideas, that's a little easier for rhythm section players to come in and join you and build and, 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 and grow and develop that solo along with you. And you're right, comping is complimentary. So if you're filling up all the space, you're not letting anybody be complimentary to you. Yep. And it's hard for saxophone players in particular, for me personally, because there are moments when I just want to, you know, just go 16 notes, eighth notes, you know, uh, and, and that aspect is a part of the music and is important, but you got to put moments in between those where you're being more rhythmic or you're, you're focusing on the interaction between you and the people you're playing with. Yeah, for sure. I have another sports analogy I'm going to go for here because that's become a thing I've liked to do recently on the podcast. Yeah, um, bring it. Uh, so in my opinion, it's kind of like, in football, you're watching football, right? And the run, running game can be kind of, it can be boring sometimes. It cannot be as exciting as the, the long pass. 
which is like the long passes, those those nice runs. Like when Max is chopping it up, like that's the that's the sixty yard in the air over the top pass. But you don't just go to that immediately. You know, you gotta set it up with the run game, which is what Kenny Garrett does here and allows him to kind of get into I mean, there are times when they're chopping it up on this album. These guys are great players, so we wanna hear that, right? But he's gotta set it up with the run game first, with some of this let's let the other guys in, let the O line block for me a little bit and, you know, hit the gap and you know, so that's my my sports analogy of the week. Is he's, very nice. Yeah. yeah. And also about running the ball in football. Usually, you know, sometimes you want to do that when you want to eat the clock and make sure you, you know, spend eight minutes on a drive. So that way you're taking away minutes from the opponent, you know, to be able to come back and beat you. So it's it, there's a strategy behind, you know, lengthening the drive. There's a strategy behind lengthening the solo and and using, you know, those rhythmic moments to develop with the players you're playing with will also help develop and lengthen your solo and make it more interesting because it's those moments in between running the ball where you throw those long passes, assuming the wide receiver or the tight end will catch it, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that, you know, those come out more so because you were running the ball. And so those moments where you're playing faster lines and you're really going at it will come out more um, musically because in between you were doing a lot of development with the people you were playing with. Yep. I, I love that. So well said. Yeah. You, it doesn't mean a whole lot if you're just doing that all the time, if you never build up to it or you never develop into it. And so that's one thing that, that really stands out to me on this album. And it's the communication between Garrett and the rhythm section here. Um, and just letting them be a part of it and build it together, you know, develop it together. And I think for that reason, this, this solo on the track is is probably my favorite one on the track. Um, Kenny Garrett's is the way he really lets them into it like that. And then we get a, a Christian McBride solo, and I'm not gonna say a whole lot on the solo, but he is he's really chop talk about chopping it up. Christian McBride is is really chopping it up on this solo. Um, just really grooving. I mean, it's just got a great sense of feel, and so we get that here from Christian and kind of his uh really grooving bass solo here, and then um. We get a great catch by Max, I noticed, in his notes on uh, the lick um, at 8-12, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Kenny Garrett plays the lick. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. And so Max pointed it out, and he was like, ah, maybe the lick. And I think it definitely is a lick, but one thing he does is it kind of, he ties it into the next phrase instead of just like playing it by itself and letting it be, you know, that be it. So I want to listen to that just because if there if the lick is played, we're obliged to listen to it, right? I <laughs> I guess so. So we're gonna listen to that that section here at eight twelve to eight eighteen, just because it's the lick. We all love it. Um, and we'll see if you guys agree if it is. I mean, I think Max hit the nail right on the head that it that is the lick there. So we're gonna listen for that right about now. Ah. Uh, yeah uh yeah yeah he he plays it and then he he moves it right away to something else yep he takes in the last note he starts moving up yeah to that that goal tone that's 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 fun yep so i caught that i was like i know Dwayne's gonna like that moment so we gotta talk about that yeah and we got yeah if the lick is being played we're gonna we gotta listen to it just because that's it's always fun when people 
play it and they play it in a way that's not super cheesy because i mean we can all just play the lick obviously but so yeah that's <laughs> that's cool there and i yeah this track really i i'm enjoying this track it's a good change of pace from raju um the solos are really cool uh, chick korea solo's got a lot of cool elements and kenny garrett so i mean it's just it's really killing and the de- the thematic development is is really there as we've talked about with some of his solos and you get a sense of christian mcbride's impeccable timing yep during you know during his solo and going in and out of it and 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 the way he compliments other players it that's showcased really well on the disguise yeah i definitely agree we kind of I mean, especially during a solo, the timing on that is just killing. I mean, we talked about him just chopping it up, and yeah, the timing is what stands out to me there. Then we get a third track called New Blues, Old Brews. So <laughs> What a name. A, I know, A-plus on the title. And that comes from guitar player John McLaughlin. Uh, drum roll, please. No, I'm just kidding. That's how this, this, <laughs> that's how this one starts, with a drum roll. Um, so we get that Vinny drum roll right away on New Blues, Old Brews, and then a melody starts. There's lots of character to this head. It's very rhythmic, but with some longer notes, some dotted syncopation, and it's generally an easygoing tempo. It's kind of slower, and there's some nice rhythmic hits at the start of the key solo. With that key solo, we get flawless execution of rhythm section hits during the transition from the tail end of the head uh, initiating the start of Chick Corea solo. There's some interplay with Kenny Garrett on sax right before the keys take it away. There's nice rhythmic development and sweeping motions that Chick Corea plays, using a lot of rolling thingy on the keyboard to manipulate and bend the sound, you know, where they want. I don't know what, Dwayne, what is that called? Yeah, so there's actually, there are a few names for what that thing that you are talking about. Um, I would call it a pitch wheel, but they're not always wheels. So there would be other names for them. Um, a pitch bend or, uh, a modulator wheel or a modulation wheel. Um, but I would call it a pitch wheel. And I think that's what most uh, keyboard players would call it, especially when it is a wheel. Cause sometimes they're wheels and sometimes they're like, you'll see people with like not little knobby things like, uh, that you like move as well. Um, but my, my synth has a wheel on it, so I would call it a pitch wheel, especially when it's in that wheel fashion. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember what it was called. So thank you. But you could call it it like a pitch bend would be like, that'd be like, that's literally what it's doing. So you could always call it a pitch bend and you'd be right. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's just bending the note, you know, on a keyboard downward or upward, you know, go up and down. So he's using that quite a bit here. And then we get a nice transition from the keys to a lengthy saxophone solo. It leaves it more open and lets the music breathe before Kenny Garrett devours us into a sound. Um, so they're taking their time getting into the next solo. There's lots of smaller spaces used at times in Kenny Garrett's solo. Also nice, purposeful, and powerful vi- vibrato at times. Great ideas that extend from the altissimo to the low range on the horn. And then we get some screaming and fast, almost blues ideas. And it kind of reminds me of David Sanborn at certain moments in and out at times here. But obviously, Kenny Garrett is doing just a bit more with that sound than, than a David Sanborn would. And there's lots of great repetition used, but in a way that undeniably keeps a listener engaged and, and, and 
what he's doing is very musically appropriate in its development that the rhythm section often catches and interplays with him. So we're going to listen for, for that here. This is 607 to 622 where you can hear moments of, of that that I just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that, you know, he's he's repeating that idea, but in a way that builds up momentum and intensifies and in moving the solo along. And as you can hear, the drums are catching and interplaying with that really nicely. In my opinion, um, Kenny Garrett's kind of stealing the show to me on these first few tracks. What he's doing is like is really, really killing. And it's every solo that he takes is like been my favorite solo on each track so there's kenny garrett is 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 really killing thus far i think you're right uh that's a great point to make is is other than maybe moments of christian mcbride kenny garrett is really what to check out on these first few tracks because of because of his development because of his interactions with the rhythm section because of all the um sounds he's getting and, and the manipulations of sounds he's able to do and just the building of ideas um, it's really spot on and it's really killer he continues with lower range on the horn playing um, to, to end his solo that leads to a, another transition to a guitar solo um, and you can tell you know they they love these solo transitions mm -hmm. where they where they take some time for things to simmer before going immediately to the next solo. And, and those moments are executed nicely. Sometimes cats will do something similar and it'll take too short of a time or too long of a time to transition. But here, you know, the amount of time they take to simmer down and transition into the next solo is, is really spot on and, and, and almost perfect the way they're doing it. Yeah, and I think that might be one of the things that stands out most is these transitions from solos to solos. And it kind of is what adds some length to some of these tracks. We'll get into some of these tracks being a little bit longer later. But it's just, it's so different than like what you might expect. Just being like, oh, I'll take a solo, then you'll take a solo. It's like, all right, cool. Well, you know, my solo ends on bar 12 of the form and your solo starts on bar one of the form it's like no 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 let's do this eight bar intro in between or you know whatever the length is let's do this intro in but or this sorry transition in between um each solo that kind of takes us from one to the other rather than just a i stop you start kind of deal right and those transitions you can hear that in this track and you can hear that a little bit in raju as well where they're they're really um uh, they're they're thinking through in a way that arranges the tune in an interesting way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a key aspect of this record that I really dig. Then we get a guitar solo that absolutely crushes it. Fast lines, nice, great feeling repetition, awesome tone again, cool bending of notes. We get an electric blues drenched idea after another one after the other his time is impeccable as he effortlessly moves from really fast 16th note or or 16th or sec or 32nd note ideas triplet rhythms really quickly you know he'll he'll throw in and when he's transitioning from those to more in the pocket feel good ideas and more common man rhythms it's impeccable the way he's able to go in and out of those fast lines and into slower lines 
And there's also some great fast line accompaniment from Christian McBride on the electric bass. So, you know, just great to hear John McLaughlin able to be so technically proficient, but it's on another level, you know, that, that goes beyond what you'd expect. Then there's another transition to a drum solo, and I'm excited we get a drum solo here. There's some nice background ideas from the keys and the sax while Vinny on drums is going at it. He has a nice use of snare and tom. He, uh, the solo's equipped with great cymbal bashing, and it's definitely fusion drumming that we're getting. Many different styles are influencing his solo. He's super busy, always feeling good with what he's playing, even though he's playing so busy. And there's effortless motion that's going on, and he's using all of his limbs, you know, just just perfectly in the way you know he's he's executing the ideas in his mind and 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 how it's coming across musically then they do these rhythmic hits at the end of that drum solo that extend the solo a little bit before they come back in with the head and the drums are still playing pretty busy underneath the melody and it sounds as if the drum solo actually never ended and i want us to to check out a moment of that um this is 12 40 to 13 15 yeah i i definitely uh hear what you're saying there it kind of sounds like they go back into the melody but the drum solo is still kind of like i'm still kind of soloing under here so let's let's listen for that here Yeah. Yeah, it sounded was that a double bass pedal he was doing? I don't know if it is double pedal or if he's like heel towing. I think he might just be heel towing. I think you're right. I, I think, think he's just, just got a really nice like a good right foot, it sounds like. Yeah, but he's he's doing so much during the melody, you know, behind it on the drum set that it's 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 almost as if the drum solo just keeps happening. <laughs> I did yeah, I did hear that one part that you're talking about where it almost sounded like a double bass pedal. I mean he's just like ripping on on the bass drum and I yeah, he's yeah, it's killing. It almost does sound like a double a double bass pedal. Yeah, yeah. So Vinny is what to listen for there at the at the end of this one. And there's a nice extended chord to end it with layerings of added lick galore from Kenny Garrett and Chicoria with a final stab to end it. So you know there I, I appreciate um, the different ideas with how they're ending these tracks. You know, we've talked about how I personally am not a huge fan of, of the fade out or, you know, we, we should use it when it's appropriate. And here, of course, it's a, it's a live album and, and all the music is on the record. So they're not doing a fade out. You can hear how they're ending the tunes. And I enjoy when they, they do, you know, subtle differences like a final stab to end it. Yeah, this actually must be Max's favorite thing, doing a live album, because there's no fade-outs possible. <laughs> well, you might be onto something. You have, to, you have to end it somehow. Wow. Um, that's interesting, but just a running joke here on the, the Jazz Jam podcast. Definitely go listen to some of our ep other episodes where Max uh, gets a little heated at certain fade-outs that we'll listen to. But cool. yeah. Yeah. There are some, yeah, there are some that really 
just grind my gears for some reason and others that you know i'm very okay with and and i've done on recordings i've been on so it's definitely useful but i i just think you can get to a place where you use it just too much and there are other ways to end tunes i definitely agree so we get to hear them have to end tunes in a way that makes sense here with no fade outs because it's live recording so right good for max we get a, a break from that this week um the fade outs Let's get into the the fourth tune on the album, and this tune entitled "Hin to and Him to Andromeda" is takes the cake for the longest tune we've listened to. I didn't know if that was possible after our twenty six minutes and twenty two seconds of lift from Emmanuel Wilkins that I uh, had to go through. Um, but so this <laughs> this track is twenty seven minutes and forty five seconds. Um, and there's a lot going on in this track. I'm going to try to be as concise as possible. I could talk for 30 minutes, probably about this 30-minute track. I'm going to try to cover it in the most succinct way possible. We'll listen to a little bit from this track. Um, but so, yeah, we get started out with this kind of dissonant piano intro to start. And then other instruments kind of start to get into the mix a little bit more. It's on the freer side, yet still interesting and never lacking direction, which is important. Um, it almost sounds like... A horror film soundtrack uh, max what were you thinking when you listened to this intro here on him to andromeda i was calling it free jazz scariness yes uh, <laughs> and it reminded me of sort of 1930s halloween shows you would hear on the radio back in the day where they're making wind noises with sheets of metal and and things like that and it also reminded me of that mixed with arnold schoenberg Oh, um, that's interesting. Okay. You know, t- you know, 12 tone matrix, you know, modern classical music um that that I'm not a huge fan of, but I had to study some of it. And so there are some moments in 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 this intro and another one later on in the album that remind me a little bit of Arnold uh Schoenberg. Nice. I li- yeah, I think that's a really cool connection there. Yeah, it just definitely there's a different feel, a very free, open feel to it. And one thing I really like about this track, and we can kind of compare it to Lift a little bit because they're kind of similar in the way that they're like, they're thought about very long, free tracks that, you know, kind of go somewhere more so this one than Lift, um, is that they're still, they're very free, but they're still listening to each other. And they're making something very musical through this um, beginning section this intro section that lasts for a good bit and there's this really cool uh blues drench section that we get from chick from 308 to 320 and i really like that that section there, kind of throwing in some really blues drenched ideas and then this is a moment that kind of stood out to me was at 345 to 405 it sounds like they're going to establish like a tempo and a groove but it's just a total gotcha moment. There's no, they don't actually, there's more intro to happen. Um, let's listen to this and see what Max thinks about this. This, when I was listening, I was like, okay, here comes, here it comes. And then I was like, no, 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 gotcha. Like, we're just going to keep doing the, the intro. So let's listen to this section here. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you hear what I mean? I was heard that and I was like, oh, okay, here it goes, here it goes, here it goes. Eh, nope. <laughs> yeah, Christian McBride was hinting at a groove for about one and a half bars, and that's that's all it was. Yeah. 
And so I love that. You. I love that was a cool moment. It was super interesting because this is a long intro. And so it's right. cool. That's a in my opinion, that was kind of a gotcha moment. Like I was ready. I was ready for whatever groove was about to happen. And then there was just like, no, 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 we're still we're still introing. So yeah, it was cool. And then things take a, a pretty cool turn at 451 when we get Boeing on the base from Christian McBride. So kind of a different texture here completely. And then it kind of the song turns into this melodic bowed bass feature with piano accompanying. And it's just this really cool section and really melodic playing here from Christian McBride. And he's starting out with the Strauss uh, Sprock Zarathustra quote. Yeah. Uh, right around that five minute mark where he's playing around with it. And it, it's a moment that illustrates the humor aspect that is integral to jazz music and music in general. It's, it's okay to play quotes and to, and to mess around and have a sense of humor in your improvisations. Yeah. And there's like some kind of hints at some more classical elements going on here in this, in this track for sure. That's right. We've kind of mentioned. Um, then at 7.30, we get the guitar come in, and it definitely signifies a change in direction in the tune, and it's quickly followed by the saxophone, and then we get the whole bla- the whole band playing together and this kind of applause from the audience, and this is when, all right, like the intro is over. So seven minutes and 30 seconds of kind of intro. It's like, I don't want to call it, I guess it is technically an intro because we haven't gotten to a melody yet. We've gotten to certain melodic ideas from Christian McBride and a different, it feels like we've almost gone through two songs to get to this one, the melody here with kind of that intro freeness and then Christian McBride on the, the bowed uh, bass um, section there. So at 730, the they can tell, all right, the band's coming in. There's an applause, and then we go into kind of this rubato melody that matches a lot of what was going on in the intros, and now we're actually in time, and there's a groove, and uh, we get this guitar solo first, and then there's uh, they go back into the melodic idea from the melody and do um, this another repeated time, so solo, melody, solo, melody again. So they're kind of going back and forth between kind of guitar solos and melodies there, and then you can feel kind of the groove and melody start to break down around 11.45. And by twelve, the 12-minute 12 mark, we're at almost like a nothing-going-on calmness. And then as the dust kind of settles at 12.06, we get this count-in from Vinny on the drums. And it takes us to like a more, much more up-groove uh, or up-tempo groove and melody. So the song's just taking a complete turn in direction. There's like this kind of calmness that comes about. Almost nothing's going on. And then count in up-tempo groove melody. And then we get a saxophone solo, which is the first time Kenny Garrett's really getting featured on this track at all is like 12 minutes into this. And there's just a lot of, lots of cool stuff going on from Kenny Garrett here. Lots of groovy and kind of out there ideas from, from, uh, from Garrett great use of the entire range of the horn um and different kind of lower register kinds of techniques things that he's doing lower down in the horn whether it be growls or different kinds of things um and we're in a totally different place from where we started the track like if you listen to what's going on here and we're about to listen to it versus what we were just listening to that was that intro in the track we're in a completely we're on like a different continent than where we started um so there's this interesting effect max from kenny garrett at like the 1705 mark. And I, I really want to hear what you think is going on. If it's kind of a natural effect he's doing, or if it's something that's being done with a pedal. And I don't know if Kenny Garrett did play with pedals. So I want to get your take max and see, um, 
what's going on with Kenny Garrett here. All right, I'm all ears. You ready? Cool. Yep. Here we go. <laughs> I think he does again. What is that? Is that is he doing that naturally? It sounds like a yeah. wah wah pedal. But I don't it know if does. he played through a pedal. As I don't believe he used pedals. And if he did, I cannot think of another moment on the album where I would hear anything remotely, you know, thinking that anything remotely close to to pointing me in the direction that he was using a pedal. So okay. I think I think he's just kind of overblowing a little bit. He's doing a wide vibrato and he's using the extended technique of moving fingers over a note that doesn't actually change the note. It just, you know, messes with the timbre of the note okay. briefly. So he's almost so using a wall like a natural wah wah on the saxophone, like using that technique to kind of give it the wah 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 wah. Yes, and and as you can tell, he's tapering off, and it sounds almost like a bit of delay. Yes, it sounds like a delay. Yes, but I I I really think he's doing that naturally. I I don't understand. Um, it would not make sense to me if he were using a pedal because uh, he's not known for that. Number one and number two, there aren't any other moments that that scream to me that he's doing that. So I think this is all natural. I think that speaks to the greatness of Kenny Garrett and the different ways he can develop a solo and how creative he is. He is so creative. It is important to be as creative and spiritual at times as he is. And I think that's a moment that, that proves his musicality. That, that, yeah, that was killing. I was like, Whoa, I was like, Max, you got to learn that one. That's cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I were to bet on it, I would say he's doing that acoustically and naturally. Um, again, because there's no other effect use that I know of from Kenny Garrett on this album or in general. Um, and another cool moment is in 1908, later in his solo, where he basically quotes uh, the Herbie Hancock recording of Watermelon Man. Yeah, do we uh, want to listen to that? We can if you want to. Oh, I um, love it. He definitely quotes, yeah. quotes that. Um, 19, 1908 or so is cool. when that Yeah, let's get into that. I definitely, yeah. All right, here it comes. Uh, he quotes right. not the melody. He quotes no. the, the like um, the riff from it. Yeah, it's like a it's like a ostinato riff that introduces the song. Yeah. 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 I think that's Watermelon Man. It definitely is. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those Herbie tunes. So that Max was another... will get Watermelon Man and Cantaloupe Island mixed up in a half a second. I will. <laughs> the, Max yeah. has a fun story about that. Didn't you play the wrong head over it? Someone called one of the tunes and you played the wrong head. Well, he called Watermelon Man and I started playing Cantaloupe <laughs> Island. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my bad. Oh my god. They're so similar to me, honestly. They uh, are similar, but they are they are technically They are different, different songs. Um they for are. sure. That guy knew. Um so, <laughs> oh, that's, so I had to catch on quickly to, to that uh little little mess up in the moment for like, me. Oh shit, what's watermelon man? Dang it. Uh, um, <laughs> Oh, but that's fun. That that's a really good catch there. That is one hundred percent what that what he's quoting there. 
Um, and I'm I'm guessing that Herbie's there. I mean, he's obviously there if he's going to play on track number seven. So it's a little kind of owed to, to Herbie there, which is um, which is cool. And kind of like what we're hearing there is by the end of Garrett's solo, he's just shredding. I mean, we're getting that kind of those kinds of sounds where he's going all in, um, and the band is just grooving really hard behind him. And one thing that sticks out is his feel is just so freaking good. Everything he plays feels so good. It's so in the pocket. I can't help but to move my body when Kenny Garrett is playing something on the saxophone. I loved Kenny Garrett before, but I mean, geez, he's just he's he's shining on this album. Absolutely shining. So I love love what we're getting here from Kenny Garrett. You know, technically, I've played with Kenny Garrett. Oh, wow. yeah, he was on. He he did a thing with with uh, some of us, you know, when I was at East Carolina, and uh, he was brought in to play for our little jazz festival, and he gave a little master class, and he was on piano, and he was doing some sort of, you know, I I don't know modal thing or, or you know just playing a few sounds over and over again harmonically on the keys while each of us took a turn blowing. So, oh, did you play Watermelon Man while he was playing Cameron <laughs> Island? Is that, is that the story? <laughs> it's actually Kenny no. Garrett. <laughs> no, no, not quite. Just kidding. But, uh, but that was that was a cool moment for me. I mean, that is crazy. Yeah, the one so and only Kenny Garrett. Yeah, so technically I've played with him, but not not in a in an official professional capacity. Where maybe one day I will. Yeah, we'll see. that'd be incredible. Um, but yeah, so definitely just getting a lot of Kenny Garrett here and just really really hitting it hard towards the end of the solo here. And then at the 22 minute mark, I mind you 22 minute mark, um, we bring it out of the solo and kind of back down into back down a little bit. And, uh, in my notes, it says, yes, that was nearly 10 minutes X solo, And I'm totally here for it. This that's it's 10 minutes of Kenny Garrett, but I, when Kenny Garrett's playing, I just like, I can't get enough. That's like one thing that this is like 27 minutes. But like that 10 minutes of Kenny Garrett does not seem like it's too much to me for sure. Yeah, he swallows me up in everything that he's doing. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's like a baby. I'm like swaddled in Kenny Garrett's sound at night. Um but <laughs> and then at uh twenty three sixteen, we get some chordal movement from the entire group, which is just some more great arranging, and it kind of collectively brings us to this climaxing point. And then from that point the track kind of devolves back into free jazz. And then we get kind of like this pseudo melody outro section that goes into a piano solo. And this piano solo takes us all the way through the, the, the end of the tune there. So that's, that's, that was a lot. And that is all 27 minutes of um, him to Andromeda. Yeah. It's a long track, a lot of development, lots of cool stuff to listen to from especially Kenny Garrett. But, um, yeah, him to Andromeda is a long one, so strap in if you're going to listen to that all yeah. the way through. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then after that fourth track, we get the fifth one called Dr. Jackal, and this one is actually written by Jackie McLean, or McLean, the great alto saxophone legend. So this one is not from Chick or uh, from John McLaughlin. This is kind of a, uh, a standard and there's a classic recording of it on the miles davis milt jackson sextet recording that was on prestige i think from the year 1955 which i believe also had jackie mclean on it and it is a 12 bar blues um here they're starting out with an open piano cadenza there's some monk influence here mixed with moments of Oscar Peterson, maybe Bud Powell and Keith Jarrett at smaller moments. But overall, it's definitely monkish. And he even quotes the melody to 
uh, Blue Monk, the great blues, you know, monk composition. There's great use of space once it reaches the 250 mark. So they're they're doing another lengthy introduction here, which Chick Corea seems to really enjoy. <laughs> um, and and that brings in the bass and the drums, and finally the saxophone and the guitar enter with the melody right around the three minute mark or so. Yeah, I think this intro is is very kind of unique. It's different than a lot of the other intros on the album. Very Monk-esque, kind of these stabbing staccatos and different ideas, kind of like almost stabbing at the piano. You get kind of that that Monk feel there. And you can hear some like interspersions from the band, people kind of talking, like saying, oh, there you go. Yeah, that's it. It's like stuff like that, which is kind of cool. And then one thing that I love is that Chick Corea says thank you, like at the kind of near the end of the intro. But he says thank you before he's done. It's not like they're about their like melody is like starting in the next bar. He says thank you, then plays for like another six bars, and then they start the melody. So I love that Chick's like thank you. I'm gonna play some more, and then keeps going, and then <laughs> they play the melody. <laughs> yeah, it's a great moment. Um, this this I I do really dig this this intro in particular. Um, and then once everyone comes in, the rhythm section outlines the blues progression with the piano soloing on top of highly organized sort of openness before Christian starts walking on the upright bass. And then they start swinging. So I'm here for the swing. Um, there's nice and easy drums to start off that great comping from the guitar, short rhythmic hits like in a big band you might hear as they continue go on to go on, excuse me, and the drums get busier. There's more straight ahead ideas being played with many blues quotes before a sort of shout chorus is played one time through the form to transition from the keys to a guitar solo. So here's another moment where they're using a transition in between solos. And here they're doing it, you know, playing playing a melody one time through the form to, to use as a transition. And we get a different 80s almost like groove played behind the guitar solo at the beginning of it. And that was a moment that reminded me of Ghostbusters for some reason. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of, you know, really in, in their 80s style playing. There's also a hint of Herbie Hancock that comes out to me here. And we get more screaming guitar goodness. And, you know, we've talked about the greatness of John McLaughlin. Great ability to move in and out of these faster lines up and down the neck of the instrument. And then they use that same transition they used earlier to go do the sax solo. Kenny Garrett is playing around with the, that transition idea during the start of his solo, copying the hits that occur and playing around with them as the rhythm section follows suit before they go back into the swing feel. Or maybe it's a thing where they're intentionally doing that or they planned to extend that section Let's listen for that moment together because I'm not sure if it's intended or if, if Kenny Garrett is just developing those transi transitional ideas and playing around with them before he actually gets into a solo. So this is 1010 to 1040. Yeah, and there they 
Right there, they start swinging and going into the solo. But it seems like you know he extended that that transition even longer, playing around with those hits. And I think that's a great moment, you know. And and it screams to the, um, just a stellar development that Kenny Garrett can do at a beginning of a solo. Yeah, he's just yeah. I love that they they mess around with that. They let that idea get you know breathe and kind of get you know he's playing those rhythmic hits and the rhythm section he allows them to kind of get in on it and then you can hear he's clearly playing that pickup into that swing section too when he's ready to do it it's not like there was a it didn't feel like it was really maybe even a pre-planned amount of times he was going to do that it felt like it was almost open-ended until the pickup lick from Kenny Garrett that swing lick that he played and kind of got them into that swing section Right, right. It seems organic and natural and in the moment. Um, and then there's some more great ideas from Kenny Garrett during a solo. There's more straight ahead, you know, moments here. And it's it's something I really dig about this record is we do get some essential straight ahead moments where it's not exactly only, you know, post-bop fusion. There's some swing sections, there's blues, there's bop. There's some tradition that's elegantly fused with more modern approaches and ideas. And we get that here. A ton of organic development and rhythmic interplay between the guitar and saxophone as well to listen for. They bring things down with a transition to a bass solo. And there's a cool hi-hat cymbal that's being played and limited share, uh, sorry, limited snare accompaniment along with Chick on piano during the bass solo. Christian is great at playing an idea and taking it, taking it up a half step, which he does a couple of times here in the solo. His timing and feel is also undeniably pretty perfect. He's great at playing constant eighth notes while messing with the lengths of certain notes, holding them out longer than expected at that tempo, but he never actually loses time or the tempo. There's great quotes that are used too, including the melody to tenor madness that he throws in. And I love that they go unaccompanied for a bit during the bass solo where it's just the bass. And you get the sense of Christian McBride's impeccable timing. And he's just that good, folks. He can go unaccompanied and maintain the tempo and mess around and manipulate what he's doing. But still, it's going to feel good and it's going to feel in time. And he has some nice bending of notes that he's doing where he's going up and down the axe. He's absolutely tearing it up with great idea development. There's a few moments of, of keys that interplay with him as well. I want us to listen to this together. This is 1720 to 1825, where you can hear what Christian McBride is doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's that's killing. Isn't it? Uh, you know, you just get a sense of, of how creative these players are. And Christian McBride, again, unaccompanied for the most part. Chick Corea throws in that little quote back at him. But other than that, you know, it's just him holding it down, playing so well in and out of the time, but he's he's still maintaining the tempo. Yeah, it's so swinging. I could listen to him play alone. There's a lot of cool stuff that he did there. The one thing, the bend was cool, but then that one part where he played, but he didn't re-pluck the notes. He just played it and just bent, like just moved his fingers up. Did you hear that part there? Yeah. I really yeah. like that. That was just a cool thing they did. Instead of like, duh, 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 he doing duh, like just like kind of slurred it on the bass. It was, it, there was a lot of cool stuff. The feel was incredible. His sense of time, the kind of that Oscar Peterson esque push and pull of the beat and that really bluesy feel there. That was that that blues swing feel. That was that was really, really cool there. That's a great connection because I know he was kind of close with Ray Brown and, and Ray Brown is I think a huge influence on Christian McBride. It, so you, it you, reminds me of some Ray Brown kind of stuff there for sure. Yeah, you can hear that in moments from Christian. Even and he's on upright here. So, you know, a little more straight ahead, a little more what you'd expect but always in the pocket, always grooving, always giving you more than you could ever imagine uh, during a solo like that. So it's a great moment to listen for. And then they play those transition hits again into a drum solo, and the guitar and keys continue to play those hits during the drum solo, and Kenny Garrett will play a few of those hits as well with them as the drums get busier. The accompanied hits continue in the bass and keys and drums, but those hits are at a much softer dynamic, almost hard to hear at, at moments. So they're, they're coming down dynamically behind the drums. And so those drums are still in the forefront. And towards the end of the solo, Kenny Garrett and the gang quote, uh, the uh, a, a very common blues head. I could not for the life of me think of the name of it, but it, it reminded me of Mingus or Monk, you know, one of those blues compositions that, that we're all somewhat familiar with. And then they end with the head played together, ending on a final extended chord with lots of added sweeping motion from most of the band members. And and all in all, a, a, a great track from from the gang with the tune Dr. Jackal. So I, there's some great moments in that as we listen to. Yeah, yeah, I love those moments. And I just think it's it's really awesome to get kind of a more straight ahead swing feel from this group because it's been very, very fusion feel and so it's cool to get kind of more like a a straight ahead blues tune on the album and they really i mean there's it's super swinging on this one so i'm 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 definitely here for it well and what do we think fusion means i mean what are we fusing together if we're fusing jazz and rock you know we we need to showcase some bare bones basic elements of jazz if we're going to do fusion the right way in my opinion and here you know, I may ruffle some feathers. I won't speak too too much on this, but I, I think the inclusion of Dr. Jackal really points to what uh, the real definition of fusion should mean, you know, yep. and, and, and there's a wide array of, of ways to play fusion. And, and it's, it's very okay to have less and less jazz if you're fusing jazz with, with another genre or with other elements. But here I appreciate that they're including some more straight ahead stuff in a jazz fusion album and to me that's more characteristic of what fusion not necessarily should be but definitely could be and i like that they're keeping some swing here with this record 
I definitely I agree with what you're saying there, and I think it's it's really important to like you're you're fusing jazz and rock or jazz and funk, whatever you know. Fusion is a fusion of jazz and many other genres, and so that's kind of how it gets a sound. But I think it's really important, as Max is saying, to kind of keep in context and in mind the foundations of jazz and you know that straight ahead feel and i think it's something like we listened to the album stretch music by christian scott and that album is very much like a modern fusion album but there's a lot of like foundation of jazz going on within it um even when they're getting into tunes like west of the west you know there's still the foundations of blues and jazz music in that which i appreciate there there are other times on the album where you know it's not as evident but there are you know and so i appreciate when artists are able to do that i like when people are creative and taking the music in different directions but still we've got to be able to respect the foundation of the music and kind of go back to the the originations and foundations of the music especially in, in blues music here yeah absolutely it, it, it's a great aspect to this record that they included this one yeah um, yeah and then we get the sixth track called senior cs Dwayne, what were you thinking on that one well we were trying to figure out who cs is and we have no clue so if anyone knows who senior cs is let us know. Send us an email if you have some insight. We tried to do some research. We don't know who CS is, but uh, Senior CS is the sixth track on the album. It starts out with kind of a, a spacey guitar and uh, electric piano intro, and then it builds into a groove around the three-minute mark. The groove is much more up-tempo than I thought the song was going to be based on what was kind of going on in the intro, um, which, like, I don't know. If, I don't know. Maybe the intro wasn't... I don't, there was just kind of this... A little bit of a disconnect there. I didn't. This is not what I was expecting when listening to the first three minutes of the track. Um, and then the guitar and sax double on the melody together again, um, which has happened on the album. And then there's lots of build towards the end of the head, which takes us into a bass solo. And Christian McBride on this solo, I mean, he's really going to to town on this solo. There's lots of notes quote-unquote chops going on um and a lot of and what he's doing here kind of reminds me of some Jocko Pistorius stuff with uh kind of the quick lines the a few chordal ideas on the bass some of this is kind of when I'm listening I'm hearing some some Jocko influence there which as far as jazz fusion music goes makes a lot of sense and then we get this this cool halftime feel in the transition from the bass to the saxo and i mean we just talked about this these transitions and i think this one's really cool um is to get that halftime feel in this transition and then kenny garrett's solo it feels a little bit more soulful than uh mcbride's kind of chop filled journey that we were on which is just i mean at this point we kind of understand to be kenny garrett's mo it's all so soulful it feels like it's right from his heart there's lots of good use of space, as we've talked about. He gets a little bit busier with some lines as well, so he shows that he can chop it up a little bit more. And there's just some really cool uh, interplay with the rhythm section at times. And these are things that we've just repeated on every track that Kenny Garrett's been a part of the solo on. So just more of the same from Kenny Garrett. Um, cool solo there. And then there's a it's a really cool build from uh, 10.05 to 10.18 um, at the end of his solo. I like the way that they build through the end of Kenny Garrett's solo there. And then we go back into this... Uh, halftime feel again for the transition but we stay in this halftime feel for the key solo which i think is really cool um and this feel staying in this halftime feel in my opinion allows chick to 
play a little bit more freely. And I kind of like the tempo and the groove that we've settled into here. And it kind of almost feels like a Latin funk groove, in my opinion. I don't know if you feel that same way about it, Max. I did. I, I was getting a sense of Latin music with, with a lot on this track, yeah. So, yeah, kind of Latin funk fusion kind of thing going on here, which makes sense. It's a fusion record, um, so we're getting the Latin influence. And then there's a lot of cool um, rhythmic ideas from Chick. And one thing uh, that really stands out to me on this album, um, one thing I want to take a listen to is uh 1211 to 1218 just some really tasteful i love blues double stops i mean we talked about it with oscar peterson um so there's just some really cool blues double stops here and i think it's really um thoughtful the way that he takes an idea a blues lick and kind of moves it down um a scale a little bit so let's listen to just this idea here from from chicoria Let's go back a little bit more. I didn't play that at the very beginning of it. That sounded cool, though. <laughs> yeah, we need to catch it from the beginning, though. Here we go. Um, yeah, there it is from the beginning. Yeah, very, you know, nice development on that. Always moving. And the drums are right with them. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, I just love, yeah, he takes his, like, this kind of stock blues idea, and then he's like, oh, where can I take this? I'm not just going to play this idea and just let it be. So kind of takes that and kind of morphs it down that the scale a little bit, which is cool. Um, and then after Chick Solo, we get back into this regular upbeat feel um, before we go into a shredding guitar solo. And there's just so much contrast here from the piano solo to the guitar solo. It's a lot busier in the rhythm section from all members. I mean, there it makes sense judging by how the piano section was all in this halftime feel. And then we're back into this really upbeat feel for the guitar solo. Um, so just lots of more energy and, you know, kind of burning a lot harder on the on this guitar solo. And then we get this halftime transition back into the melody. And uh, one thing I noticed is like, these songs feel like at this point, it feels like they're just kind of getting longer and longer on me. So there's a lot, you know, that's if, because they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like we've gotten like four 20 minute tunes in a, in a row. Um, so I like what's going on in this tune, but it feels like in my opinion, we're kind of getting dragged out a little bit and maybe could have gone back to the melody after the, the, the keyboard solo there. Yeah, personally, I I could have done without the first three minutes. Yeah, and so, that's another thing is I feel like this track, instead of being twenty minutes, could have probably been ten to twelve minutes. If you like, the intro doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and then the yeah, it, just it doesn't drags match on a little bit. Right, it doesn't match musically with what comes after it, as opposed to some of the other introductions. I I feel match pretty well with the songs that they're getting themselves into. Yep. So so here, there's just the, I I think maybe just one too many things happening um and you got to cut something but you're right these these last few tracks are all 20 minutes long except the last one which we'll get into so after that one we do get uh the seventh track in the silent way slash it's about that time you know this is coming from miles davis fusion galore also joe zawinul it's the ultimate fusion selection to include on a record like this and this one features herbie hancock on the piano 
It's a slower tempo at the top, very open, and the guitar tone is lighter, brighter, and cleaner here. And it's a nice change of pace, even though I've I've been really digging John McLaughlin's uh, uh, guitar tone. Here he lightens it up, so it's a it, you know a, a different timbre that we're getting from the guitar. There's great interplay between the keys and the guitar. There's somewhat spacey sonic sound development going on, and then the piano sound starts to come in right around the 310 mark, and that's Herbie Hancock joining in with everything else that's going on. And it, there's an even slower time feel here. There's not an established meter, but a listener can still sense the existence of time and realize that there's some sort of tempo going on here because of the musicality of the players and the movement that's occurring between the multiple instruments, um, mainly between piano and, and the, the keyboard sounds that Chick Corea is doing. Um, it, it's not in time, but it is. And so just got to check that out for yourself. They go into more scary sounds that are used like it's a soundtrack to a horror flick. Um, and this, this what they were doing kind of reminded me more of an alien movie rather than a Hollywood, or excuse me, than, rather than a Halloween movie that we were getting at earlier with another track. But they're, you know, they're going to that scary jazz openness thing again. <laughs> and as we were talking about with these longer tracks this introduction really goes on it's been going on for six minutes before the guitar starts outlining an actual groove at the six minute and ten mark or so and they take their sweet time getting into it as chick Corea starts messing with a sort of ostinato and then the bass begins to chime in yeah and i i really like the texture here at the intro but with this one i felt like I kind of got the point at like the two minute mark. And so I feel like at this point in the album, it feels like for me, things are starting to like be maybe dragged out a little bit. Like at this one, like I like the intro. I like what's going on, but it feels like six minutes is like a whole songs worth. So we're kind of getting like songs within songs at this point. So it's just, there's a lot going on and some of these tracks are, you know, have a lot of development over a long course of, of time going on. My guess is that with this one, it, it drones on longer than the others because it includes Herbie Hancock. Yeah. So they're letting Herbie, you know, add in what he wants to. It, you're, but you're right. It could have been shortened or, you know, uh, dealt with in a different way where, you know, you don't spend six or seven minutes on an introduction. And I think it, I would have been more apt to this six minute intro if senior cs had maybe been like the things that we said about it you know if it had been shorter i think i would have been maybe a little bit more on board with this intro also being you know or this intro being that long if we hadn't just been through a, a 20 minute journey in in senior cs so just kind of my my personal thoughts i don't hate it and one thing i want to point point out is if i were listening there live at a concert i don't know if i'd feel the same way i probably wouldn't i'd probably be a little bit more into what's going on not that i'm not into but you know when you're there in the moment you're seeing what's going on it's easier to get fully involved in in some longer tracks and things like that right the issue is that here it's curated in an album format so we have to um, take it in in that way because we can't be there in person yeah. to experience it and i think you're right in the moment it would not probably have seemed like six or seven minutes but here it definitely does because of how long most of the tracks are towards the end of this record. And this tends 
to be a moment where it seems to drone on just a little bit. So I think your point stands. And then after that, we get drums coming in with the groove. And soon after, Kenny Garrett enters with some long notes. The guitar establishes another groove ostinato by the nine-minute mark. So a little more stretching going on. Chick is going crazy over top of the guitar groove on the piano, or on the keys, rather. He's in and out of the key playing many ideas um, repeated while going into stabbed, shorter phrases and continues with this fusion sort of chaos that's going on. It's well organized and together while seemingly sounding chaotic. I want us to listen to this moment together. This is 9.45 to 10.35. Yeah, I think organized chaos is like a good way to put it. Let's let's listen to this, this uh, snippet here. Yeah. Right. So a lot going on, but it feels good still. It's grooving, you know, head banging groove going on. It it's just seemingly chaotic, but it's it, like it's to, yeah, it's together. almost it's like yeah, everything in the rhythm section is super together. And it's almost like chick they're just like you just play whatever you want, chick. Just play, you know. And he's like, "Okay, cool." And goes to town. It's cool. It's kind <laughs> of like a like this weird pulling apart, but like still together and what he's playing is it's not like completely out of time or out of key the key center necessarily there are moments where it's like a little bit more dissonant and away from the tonal center but it's it's rhythmic as to what's going on i mean it seems random and stabby at points but there's there does seem to be some intention with what's going on as well it's not just completely random yeah as long as it's in the pocket it's there you know everything's cool and grooving so after those moments, things come way down with lots of space and short interjections of more guitar goodness that soon turns into a guitar solo. The electric bass is always grooving and also does many short inter interspersions during the guitar solo to move the groove along. And it's somewhat of a condensed guitar solo, and it doesn't last too long before it transitions into a different groove that's established by the guitar and half notes from Kenny Garrett on the alto, while the drums seem to take over quite a bit, and it's almost like a drum solo going on. They come way down again before a sax solo is revealed, so they're, they're using those dynamically downward moments as a transition between the solos. Another moment where they're using transitions between solos, that's a key aspect to the record. And there's nice interplay between Kenny Garrett and John on the guitar. Lots of space used by Kenny, and he then starts to play busier, playing larger inter intervallic spaces with some ideas. And the rhythm section is always listening to the sax, and Kenny Garrett is always listening to the rhythm section. They are developing together. And there's many shorter ideas played by all instruments that interact superbly before an awesome moment occurs where Kenny Garrett starts driving a bit harder, repeating a trill idea and go growing in intensity 
but it never reaches to a point where it's too much. And then the keys repeat a constant idea to help drive it out too. Let's listen to that together. This is 1725 to 1820. Yeah, just some more development from Kenny Garrett. No, no surprise here. Let's listen to it. I can't get enough. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. Uh-oh, technical difficulties over there. Yep. Here we go. You ready? Yep. No, I love the way the the guitar creeps back in with that that riff there. That's that's cool. Yeah, and honestly, I think they could have gone for another minute or so with that before the guitar was coming in with that main groove because I I feel like th- that moment was just a little cut short. And you know, I appreciate that they're moving on to the next thing, but there's a I, I think they could have gone and climaxed a little more with what Kenny Garrett was doing and could have done that trill just a little bit longer. I mean, we get enough from Kenny Garrett earlier in the album, but I think there, there's a moment they could have actually stretched a little bit more. Yeah. And I mean, if the song's going to be 20 minutes, you might as well make it 21 minutes. You know, what's the, <laughs> what's the difference at this point? Yeah. I just think Kenny Garrett backed off just about 45 seconds too early. And I think a bigger climax could have occurred there, but all in all great moments still from Kenny Garrett. They come back down. There's some more inter-instrumental conversing that occurs with some three-note half-step ideas played by the sax. They do a natural fade to end it. There's some subtone you can hear from Kenny Garrett on the alto sax, and the crowd goes wild once again. And another moment of, of great audience and uh, you know reaction musically to what's going on. And there's some elements of free jazz here in this track, but it's not overdone, and it's performed quite tastefully i think yeah i i definitely agree um i think that one thing yes album tasteful is a good word and a lot of what's done is well thought out and tasteful even though you know some of these compositions are super long they're not like long and like doing the same thing or lacking development there is always development which is which is nice um so let's get into the final track on the album um entitled someday uh, my prince will come and this is a tune uh by it's like a it's a standard right that miles davis made famous yeah he recorded a version of it and that pretty much um made it a, a jazz standard and it's a good one to call if you're on a gig that you you know if you want to call it a, a tune in three four mm. this is a good go-to one to do someday my prince will come it was originally from the movies i think one of the the sort of um oh one of those disney movies um someday my prince will come um snow white maybe one of those it this is where that tune comes from snow white would make sense yeah it's one of those and miles made it 
uh, a jazz standard from um, covering it on on an album he did, and that's why people play it. So, let's see. We're about to find out what it's from. I've, I I <laughs> I I know this, but it's not coming to me at this Snow, moment. Uh, Snow White. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I was right. Yeah, it's it's from Snow White. So it's really like a Disney tune, but um, for all Miles our Davis, Disney lovers out there, you know. <laughs> yeah. But Miles made it a, a jazz standard, and so this is one cat's call, including myself. Uh, because it's in three, it's a it's a good one to change the pace, you know, of the time feel on a gig. Yeah, and I think this is uh, it's cool, kind of just to have the two leaders on the session on a track. Um, it's a unique choice. I think this song makes sense a lot as the end of the the last track on the album or in the recording. Um, I would be lying if I told you I wasn't waiting for the rhythm dissection to come in for like a while. Uh, but then they get into the melody. Um, and so I guess that's what happens when you have like five, six minute intros in a row. I'm just like, all right, cool. Like when's the rhythm section coming in? Um, but then they we get, were all, yeah, we were all waiting for that. Yeah. I was and like, it oh, okay. never happened. I was like, oh, it's just, and then they get into the melody and I was like, oh, okay. That's, that's just the two of them, but it's really swinging. Um, and I like, you know, the feel is really good with just keys and, and guitar on the melody. So I now realize there will be no rhythm section. Um, and so, yeah. it yeah. And so it's just, it feels really fluid um, with the McLaughlin comping on Chick's solo. I think he does a really good job of comping. It can be hard when you're playing with no real rhythm section, no bass, no drums. And I think they do a really good job of keeping the feel and the, the time going here. Chick is swinging pretty hard on a solo. I love the blues lick that he plays from four minute mark to four or five. And I just really like the the playful kind of back and forth, especially during the guitar solo. And I think that this this kind of duo feature is a really cool way to to kind of conclude the album. Max, what do you think about about this track? I think it's a nice ending to the album. It's organic. It's not forced. There's some great interplay between the two co-leaders on the on the record and of the group that you were alluding to. Um, I love the trade-off that goes in between them. A lot of nice interaction. I do wish there was some saxophone on this one, and I, I do enjoy the aspect of no drums on a track. You know, just bring things down, just do, you know, a, 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 a selection with just piano, maybe piano-based guitar or piano guitar sax you know leave one or two of those fundamental um instruments that we would normally expect to be included on a jazz tune and leave one of them out and you go certain places where you wouldn't normally go or you may play certain things in different ways that you wouldn't normally do so i i enjoy sometimes not having drums on a gig because of that and and you can do the same thing if you have a, a, a keys player with a strong left hand. Don't call a bass player for the gig. You just do, you know, piano, uh, drum, sax, or whatever. So, so I love those moments, and we get that here. I do kind of wish there was maybe at least some Kenny Garrett on this one, though. Yeah, I mean, I could always go for more Kenny Garrett. So, I yeah, I, yeah, it wouldn't hurt. But I I do like the kind of the. The vibe that we get from the two of these guys and kind of them comping with each other. I do enjoy that. Um, so, yeah, it's cool to get that kind of that aspect 
and yeah, bass players are definitely overrated. Uh, you just use your left hand, um, which any good <laughs> organist would say. Um, but yeah, so but yeah, this is a really cool way to to end the album. I actually really I didn't know if I liked this as a conclusion, but then by the end of the song, I was sold. Like this is a, a really cool, unique way to end the album, and an album that's had a lot of energy throughout to kind of bring us back down a little bit and let us breathe here at the the end. I enjoy. Yeah, I think generally it's curated really well. I, I do kind of wish maybe there was another standard mm-hmm. that was that you know was in the middle of the album that kind of brought things down um, in energy. Yeah, and maybe, maybe a ballad or something. Yeah, a ballad would be really nice. I you could know? go for a little fusiony ballad, even if you fusion it up a little bit. Absolutely, uh, you could do you know sophisticated lady or something that that really can be messed around with in a fusion setting um so yeah i i agree a ballad would have been nice somewhere in there but i i do kind of appreciate just hearing the two co-leaders of the group together on a track um and seeing what they can do musically with just themselves yeah for sure well let's get into that's all of the tracks on the album um let's get into our top threes and our not so hot track for this album max what do you have for your top three and your you're not so hot on this one my number one is the number one track on the cd or the record we're talking about called raju i think it's a great representation of everything this group has to offer i love the transitions in between solos or the way they're ending each solo uh Great energy, great moments on Raju. Number two is Dr. Jackal, which is the Jackie McLean blues. Um, I love the swing, great moments soloistically in that too. Great interactions. Number three is the two new blues, old brews. I think there's a lot going on there. It feels good, and I enjoy that track. My not so hot, I was torn between either Senior CS where Someday My Prince will come. And I ultimately picked Someday My Prince only because I do wish there were maybe some more uh, representation from the band on that track. Um, I think bass would have been really killer if we did, you know, bass, keys, guitar, or add sax and do um, guitar, sax, keys. Something like that I think would have opened it up a little bit more um, because you're right, I was expecting the band to come in at some point too and it never happened and i was kind of let down personally even though what we're being presented with musically is really great and really interesting to listen to i just think there maybe could have been a little bit more done with that track yeah i can definitely agree with that sentiment um yeah so my top three i have with my number one slot i have dr jackal i think that tune is just it's awesome. Um, there's a lot to like about it. And the Jackie McLean original. Yeah, it just, yeah, that tune really speaks to me. The second, my second one is a little bit different. Um, one that Max didn't have on his top three, but one that I really liked. And I think I liked it a lot for the change of pace. Um, it's the tune, the second tune on the album entitled The Disguise. I really like uh, Chick Corea's intro. I love Kenny Garrett's solo here, Chick Corea's solo, and just kind of the transitions in between the solos. This, and it's 
it feels a little different than a lot of the kind of more upbeat tunes. So for that reason, this tune, it just kind of stood out to me. It's one of the ones that I remembered the most. So it got my my number two spot on, on my top three. And then my third on my top three, I think this one is definitely one that deserves, it kind of gives you everything you need to know about this album, is the first track, Raju. Um, there's just so much cool playing going on there. It's upbeat, it's energetic, it's funky everyone's killing everyone gets a little bit um so yeah raju is definitely a, a track to check out and then um like max said not so hot i went with senior cs it's kind of just the one track that there were a few things about um pretty much every other track i i was enjoyed and i wouldn't change a whole lot about it but this was one track where it felt like it kind of dragged in the album there was some stuff the intro didn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to me personally and so for that reason, I feel like this track is just, it's not, it doesn't live up to the standard set by some of the other um, tracks that are on this session. So for that reason, uh, Senior CS is my my not so hot for, for this album. So let's get into our overall album thoughts and our album rating for this album. Um so I'm going to go ahead and go first. Uh, Five Piece Band is a powerful live recording that brings together an all-star cast of musicians. This album blends the fusion tendencies of Korea and McLaughlin in an all-out way. This recording is very energetic from start to finish, and there's no lack of freedom of expression, or as we like to call it, the stretch. Every single cast member sticks out to me in their own way. Kenny Garrett is one of... um is one of the all-time alto sax players through multiple eras in jazz and has so much to offer here in this context. The rhythm section of McBride and uh, Koleuda is very driving and keeps the sometimes long compositions pushing forward very well. And the tracks featured on the court recording make a lot of sense to what is going on in the section or the session. Everything is well arranged and well curated. Uh, we get to hear multiple solos on each tune and really get to hear all of the musicians shine, which is something we might not get as much of on a studio recording. And almost every song has an elongated intro. And while they were often well written and well played, they sometimes get to be a little too long for my taste. It feels like almost each of the 20 minute tracks has a six minute long intro. So there are some points where it feels like some of those are a little bit elongated for me. Um, the album definitely does feel like you're strapped in for a full length live performance. Um, while this helps to allow the stretch and musicians to develop lots of songs in different ways and at some points feels like you can get lost in some of the 20 minute long compositions which i don't know is if it's always a good or a bad thing um so i thoroughly enjoy the the inclusion of different um standards and groups take on each with uh the jackie mclean tune um uh jackal the jackal and uh someday my prince will come and um the final track does a great job of kind of bringing together the two co-leaders on the group back to their origins with uh, Miles Davis for like a swinging rendition of Someday My Prince Will Come, as I said. All in all, this I feel like this album is more than worthy of a listen to jazz fans, and it's a great live performance to consume, in my opinion, if you're on a road trip or something similar where you can just dive in fully for two hours at once. You're just like, all right, I got two hours. Like, what am I going to do? listen to this album. There's lots going on. If you're a jazz fan, if you 
really like jazz, you're going to like so much of what's going on here. So that's, you know, your next, your next road trip, check this album out and see, see what they got going on here. And so for that reason, um, it's going to get an 8.2 out of 10 for my overall score. Yeah, well said. I think this is a unique powerhouse supergroup recording that delivers what one hopes to get out of this all-star cast. It's a great mix of straight-ahead groove, soloistic stretch, and balls-to-the-wall fusion. Sax phenom Kenny Garrett creates great improvisations raging, ranging from spatial development to screaming and honking explorations. Christian McBride is a treat to listen to, especially on the rare occasion that he's on electric bass, as he is on much of this recording. Chick Corea's leadership prevails with the use of extended intros, cool solo transitions, and nicely done outros, not to mention his playing. Vinny Coleuda keeps the groove together on drums while performing a number of energetic solos, and John McLaughlin's playing is stellar. His technique and ability to move in and out of different time fields is outstanding. McLaughlin, along with Chick Corea, are responsible for most of the compositions and, I assume, arranging, along with the inclusion of a Jackie McLean blues tune and Someday My Friends Will Come. Again, I think the arranging on most all tracks is superb and an interesting part to the album. Everyone is well-featured. I would have liked to have heard perhaps a few more moments of melodic sections to tunes to get more saxophone in at certain times. Even though they do perform interesting transitions in between solos and after the melody on a few different tracks. Some sax and or bass on Someday My Prince Will Come would have been a nice addition despite it already being a good feature for the two leaders of the group. Most stretched intros work well here, except for maybe the one on Senior CS. Also, to have three to six minute long intros on most tunes seems to be both predictable and may result in being a bit too much, taking away from its intended purpose in its use in an arrangement. There are also one or two small occurrences where I think they missed the mark on a possible stretch where it could be said one or two solos were cut short. Yet, all in all, there is plenty of soloing here on an album that includes multiple 20-minute long selections. I do recommend taking a listen to this record, which certainly has enough enjoyable moments for any jazz listener. Overall score, 8.3 out of 10. Yeah, and so that brings our Jazz Jam combined score on the five-piece band live by Chick Corea and John McLaughlin to an 8.3 overall out of 10. So cool. I definitely a good album to check out. There's a lot going on. Um, yeah, but some really cool stuff. Max, why don't you tell us about uh, what we're getting into in our album next week on next week's episode? Yeah, this album, you know, is a super group of great fusion players. And it reminded me of another great super group album of bebop players um that was released in in 1953 it was a, a, another live recording with all the great bob players including bird dizzy gillespie bud powell on keys max roach and the great charles mingus on the bass mm. and mm. we haven't talked <laughs> and we haven't talked much about mingus yet We've mentioned him once, maybe once or twice on the podcast. So we're going to get into a little bit of, of those guys and the and the great Charlie Parker led uh, recording. It, it's known as the group is known as the quintet because it is the ultimate bebop quintet you could imagine um, from a concert at Massey Hall 
1953. And so that, along with Charlie Parker with strings, are probably the two two of the top Charlie Parker recordings um, that listeners should check out and go to. So we're going to discuss Jazz at Massey Hall, the quintet from 1953 with Bird and the gang. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, and we had talked, We, I mean, we've mentioned pretty much all these players at some point when discussing other musicians, and we said we're going to get them all, we're going to get them on the podcast, but Max decided we needed them all on the podcast at once. Like, we're getting <laughs> Bud Powell, so. Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Charles Mingus, Max, I mean, come on, Max, all at once. I Next next week's episode is going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot. I mean, it's going to be awesome, but good God, these guys are just the Mount Rushmore of, of bebop. So uh, it's going to be awesome to, to get into this, this episode. And there's going to be a lot to dive into. So I'm super excited to, to get into this next one. Absolutely. We have a lot of homework ahead of us. We do. We do. We have to, <laughs> yeah, we got to do our research, especially with, with this one. We got to, you know, be on top of our game, but it's awesome. I mean, we got it. We, we haven't done a, like a really bop album yet. So, I mean, what, better place to start than with this album by this by the quintet um one thing i do want to mention before we close out is just uh to check out our website our website is awesome it's got so many cool things you can check out a power rankings list is probably my favorite thing which kind of ranks every album by the score that we gave it. So you can go and look and see like, oh man, like why'd they rate this, this, and this, this. And uh, you can have your own opinions and you can email us and yell at us if you want. Um, but yeah, so definitely go check out our website. There's that list. There's every single album has its own page where it gives our overall thoughts and scores. And you can listen to the album as well as our episode all on the same page. We've got the artist pages with bios and you can see what different artists have been in different episodes. So if you like a certain artist, you can see what episodes we've done on that artist. So just definitely a cool place to go if you want kind of just this this like reference for jazz and it's it's growing as we do more episodes we can only do so many episodes um so we're we're growing we're expanding we love um having people reach out to us and listener questions so feel free to send those if you have them or recommendations or anything you want to say please feel free to reach out to us we've been having such a fun time doing this and we're not slowing down we're going to keep it going so yeah just thanks everyone for listening and please go check out our website and follow us on instagram uh max do you have anything to say to that effect no, just please, you know, we did have a listener question, you know, for this one and, and we want to keep them coming. So feel free to reach out, you know, any album recommendations, any questions about personnel on an album, about instrumentation, about uh, the gig life or the gigging sort of um, experience or, or things to do in, in different moments that you may have questions about as a musician. Feel free to send them. We're always open to to um, answering those and and really exploring those things with you with you as as an audience member and and exploring what we call jazz you know there's a lot to talk about that goes beyond just um how many jazz records do you have in your collection or what are you know there there's more to jazz than kind of blue blue train and um miles davis and those are essential and are highly important as we've discussed in the last couple of episodes, especially with miles and, and the gang. But, you know, if you don't know Willis Jackson, if you don't know, um, Don Patterson, mm. if you don't know Frankie Trumbauer, if you don't know 
Howard McGee. You should really check those guys out, and there's so many more, and we're going to get into them. That's our job. Yeah, that's what that's we're our job. For. And there's a lot to explore with this music, rather than just the top ten highest selling jazz albums. Um, there's so much to go over, and we're going to do our best to do that here on the Jazz Jam podcast. Yeah, awesome. That's well said, Max. Um, but yeah, awesome. I just want to thank everyone for listening. This has been a really cool. Um, album. I'm glad that uh, one of Max's fellow musicians there in KC recommended it. It's cool to get into some different things. Uh, the most kind of fusion based album we've gotten into. Um, so this has been an episode uh, of the Jazz Jam podcast. We've been checking out Five Piece Band Live by Chick Korea and John McLaughlin. For Max Levy, I've been Dwayne Gunnels and this has been an episode of the Jazz Jam podcast. <laughs>